You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little Rule 5 draft, as I just put out an article really diving into the Rule 5 draft over at JustBaseball.com. Ryan Miller, one of our contributors, did a really good job helping identify some of these prospects. And this could be the most loaded Rule 5 draft in recent memory. The way you have to think about it almost is that there's two classes in this group because of the no 2020 season. You basically had the development of a lot of players and prospects uh, just delayed. So you have a lot of players that are in an in-between spot and teams had to make tough decisions on more players than usual. And as a result, more players than usual fell between the cracks and will be available in this Rule 5 draft. So I'm going to go through some of the names that I really like and some of the names that I think you should be looking out for for your personal team to potentially be an option to help your ball club in the bullpen, maybe even a bat. And then also, maybe you're a fantasy person who wants to look for a potential diamond in the rough. I know there's some really deep leagues out there. There's some guys here that have some closer potential. I don't know if they're going to be closers right away, but have closer caliber stuff, dynasty league, whatever it may be. I don't know, but there's some relevant names to check out here. So I'll give you the information and then you can do with it whatever you want. Of course, the article this time is actually hyperlinked in the description as well for you to go check out. And I also have some more discussion on this on the Just Baseball show where we went deep into some of the Rule 5 history and the rules of the Rule 5 draft because it is pretty intricate and pretty interesting. But on the basis, the very simple basis of it, you have a chance to select a player who was not protected on the 40-man roster. The 40-man roster deadline to add players to your 40-man has already passed just a few days ago. So now teams will have a chance to pick from any Rule 5 eligible prospect that was not added to the 40-man roster to be Rule 5 eligible, you have to be signed before the age of 21 and have five years of minor league service time, or if you were signed after the age of 21, have four years of minor league service time. So plenty of prospects on both ends of that spectrum. I would say the majority still are college guys because four years versus five years, that's a big difference in the prospect world. Usually that's around the time where even the middling prospects may get a chance at a cameo or their value will have been pretty determined at that point as to somebody that will not have that much interest in the rule five. There's plenty of players in between those two categories. And I'm going to talk about that right now. So let's start with one of the most intriguing and electric arms in this whole group here. It's Daisbel Hernandez, right-handed pitcher of the Atlanta Braves. Most definitely going to be a reliever, already is pretty much full-time reliever in the minor leagues, but had a pretty interesting year. I think he definitely showed his ability to get swings and misses. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he has a fastball that can run up to 100 miles per hour, a wipeout slider as well. I mean, the stuff can absolutely play. 
tell me if you've heard this one before, especially in the Rule 5 draft. He's a guy that has electric stuff, but struggles to command it. Uh, We saw him walk about five and change per nine. Actually, the exact average was about five batters per nine. I don't think it's that egregious. I mean, considering that he has this kind of electric stuff, if he's selected by a team with a track record of cleaning up mechanics, cleaning up uh, the stuff of pitchers, you know, I think that this is somebody that you have to be excited about. I'm looking at the Houston Astros as a potential option. The Houston Astros have done a great job with release points, improving command and improving just the efficiency of mechanics of pitchers. I think we could see something similar with the Detroit Tigers with their confidence that they have in their pitching development at the big league level as well. I mean, they called up Matt Manning just to get him a more hands-on opportunity with their big league pitching coach. At the same time, Manning is concerning a little bit right now, and that's a bit of an individual case. But look at the development of Tarek Skubal. Look at how Casey Mize took some strides last year. I still am very worried about Mize reaching whatever the ceiling was presumed to be before. I think he's more of a middle to back end of the rotation guy, but still made strides last year. That's the type of situation where I could see Dez Bell Hernandez going into because if he puts it together, I mean, he has closer stuff. This is a triple digits fastball. And I mean, it's easy triple digits. He'll run it up to to 102 at times and also has the ability to just sit over 90 miles per hour. The slider is also just sharp with late bite. Nobody hit it. I mean, really, it was it was either you were going to walk or you were going to strike out. Uh, people at times, I guess, could catch up to the heater because that's just the way it is. But the heater still was, was really good overall compared to uh, most fastballs that you'll see in the minor leagues, especially especially with guys or from guys with command issues. The slider velo wise sits right around 89 to 92 miles per hour, which is absolutely ridiculous. Opponents posted just a 333 OPS against it. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of what he offers stuff wise. You got a fastball that routinely is is in the upper upper 90s hitting triple digits a ton he even mixes in a cutter on occasion I would love to see how that pitch develops gets a ton of chases at his fastball and his slider this is somebody that easily could be a closer if he can put it together command wise at 5'10", 220 pounds, he actually has that lower release point that's become more coveted from guys with high spin rates because low release point, high spin rate, even more so that fastball looks like it is just taking off and, and you know almost ascending in the air. And he has high spin rates at about almost 2,400 RPMs on that fastball. So high in the spin rate department, a lot of life to it. I like him a lot. I think he's going to run into some hard contact at times when he misses over the middle with the fastball, especially because it has some arm side run. Uh, if he's trying to work out outer half of the plate, guys with the command issues can run it back over middle in and over over the middle, and that's where they'll get burned a little bit. But if you can protect him in the respect that he's pitching in the fifth inning, sixth inning of games that aren't as close and let him get acclimated and build up. I really think that this is somebody with some major upside that you have to be excited about to select in the draft. And that's Daisbel Hernandez, again, uh, in case you missed the name, uh, from the Atlanta Braves, 25 years old. And real quick, as I wrap up on Daisbel, I'll give you his numbers between double A and triple A last year. He had a 3.83 ERA and 42 and a thirds innings. He punched out 58, walked 23, which is also, of course, the alarming point. But when you're striking out 32.4% of the batters you face, that's encouraging. And the FIP actually points towards him being uh, better than the ERA showed, which is interesting with how many guys he walked, 3.65 FIP. So there's some encouraging components there to him as well. I'm no doubt taking a flyer on this guy if I need a reliever and would definitely be interested 
in Daisbell Hernandez. Let's move on to the next Rule 5 draft prospect who I'm a big fan of. And this was a disappointing year from him because if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, this is a prospect I was really excited about for a long time, and he has just not quite put it together. But Tanaj Thomas, 22 years old, Pittsburgh Pirates. This is somebody that I'm still hoping can ultimately, uh, I guess, fit into a rotation long term if I'm selecting him because he is just 22 years old. You'd probably still have to stash him more so in that long relief type of role and just fill in innings eater role as he gets more comfortable because he's still far off from being big league ready and I think would run into some difficulties missing bats at times. But Tanaj Thomas is a converted infielder. Only reason why he's Rule 5 eligible is he was signed super young out of the Bahamas as an infielder and now at 22 years old had the delay of switching over to the mound. I think he was so electric on the mound, was able to hit triple digits pretty early on that that's what the Pirates wanted to do with him. But the problem was that he has just not had enough time to develop on the mound. 2020 season canceled. It's just been unfortunate for him timing wise as a guy that moves from infield to the mound, then has a big year taken away from him in his development and was showing great things in 2019. It was a little bit of a rough year this year. I mean, it wasn't disastrous, but I was expecting him to take that next step. He didn't quite do it. And, you know, the Pirates are looking at the situation now where they have so many young, talented prospects and talented players on the 40 man that they had to opt to not protect Tanaj and hope that nobody is going to take him because of the fact that he has not pitched above high A ball. In high A ball this year, he made 16 starts. He pitched to a 5.19 ERA, 6.49 FIP. Definitely struggled to keep the ball in the yard in those 60 innings. He gave up 13 homers and the command still waned walking 35 in those 60 innings. He did punch out a respectable 22% of the batters he faced, which you'd expect to be a little bit better, but not disastrous by any means. But when you're walking 13% on most of the batters you face, it's going to be a bit harder. The fastball seemed to taper off a little bit. And I say taper off because he was somebody that could run it up to triple digits on, on numerous occasions when I had watched him in the past. He seemed to be more so living in the mid to upper 90s. I don't think it was because he can't throw 100. I think he's capable of throwing 100. I think it was more so him just trying to figure out the command and develop the command. And clearly that it's, it's just still not there for him. He was trying to sit more in the low to mid 90s at times even, and it just still didn't help him command wise. So there's still a lot to figure out here. And I think that teams could be a little bit concerned uh, with the fact that he had his velo fluctuate in what seemed like him just trying so hard to throw strikes. But I do like the breaking balls. I thought the breaking balls looked pretty darn good uh, when he was commanding them. Opponents didn't hit him well. I mean, you look at both of the breaking balls overall, opponents, you combine the slider and the curveball opponents posted about a 390 OPS against those two offerings. And he was able to get some good swings, swing and miss numbers and good chase rates on those offerings uh, when they were on, especially for the slider which is more so in the low 80s. This is one of the more upside prospects. And, you know, you look at the age, 22 years old. You look at the projectability, athleticism, the body at 6'4", 190. There's so much to like here, but he's also very far off. So it's probably the biggest risk, but potentially the biggest reward in Tanaj Thomas here with the prospects that we're looking at across the board. I'm going to get to one more pirate real quick as well, because Omar Cruz is really intriguing. And Omar Cruz of the Pirates had a very solid season relative to a lot of the other pitchers 
on this list because generally it's guys that struggled. I thought Cruz showed some good things, especially in double A. The interesting thing is that his swing and miss numbers really tapered off in double A, but the ERA, the FIP, those numbers were were consistent in the ERA department and the FIP improved by a good deal. The interesting part though is in seven starts in high A, 12 strikeouts per nine, then gets the double A call up only 7.6 strikeouts per nine, but he halves his walk rate almost, which is a big reason why the, the FIP was improved. However, the ex-FIP did take a bit of a hit, so still was was given up some hard contact. I do think that some of that has to do with the reason why he had a high BABIP, but we're still looking at a lefty pitcher here that has intriguing enough stuff that with the ability to throw a little bit and show the improvement in command, I'm looking at him as an option, potentially, especially as a lefty. You're hoping that he can get guys out, you know, at least from the left side with his breaking ball. He has a, a curveball that I really like the movement profile. It's it's a bit of a downer, has a little bit of horizontal break, and definitely is a nightmare for, for left-handed hitters. I would imagine that with the fastball-curveball combination, he could be effective against lefties. They had just a 691 OPS against him. That's a pitch that I really think he could build on and utilize. The fastball definitely needs a little bit of refining and is more so in the 90 to 92 range, uh, which is not exactly the most electric fastball in the world. So that's that's the struggle here because a lot of these guys, you're thinking, okay, yeah, we'll throw them in the bullpen and see how they develop. It's kind of hard to throw a, a 90 to 92 guy in the bullpen, even if his stuff ticks up a little bit. The thing that does work in his favor, and I don't think he's going to be as much of a swing and miss guy at the big league level when he gets that chance. I think he really needs to reshape himself a little bit as more of that ground ball pitcher because his movement profile on his pitches, it's a heavy fastball that has a lot of horizontal move and arm side fade that could be a solid offering to get those grounders. The curveball can do that as well. I think that's more so the mold for him as somebody in the low 90s, uh, but he's a little bit of a tweener in that regard, trying to see where that stuff profiles, if it's more in the bullpen or if it's more as a swingman starter type, that's probably the most likely scenario. Uh, not the most exciting arm here, but probably one of the more uh, polished compared to some of the other names that I'll mention in just a moment. But before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. It's Thanksgiving, and we all know what that means. It means it's time for football and for my grandma to ask me when I'm going to give her a grandchild which subsequently makes me much more interested in football. And I'll place wagers on them to on the games to be a little bit more uh, interested and more locked in. And Bet Online is the number one spot for you to do that, whether you're using football as a distraction for fun or to place some bets because you feel like you've got an edge on these Thanksgiving games. They're the number one spot. Head to their new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with the promo code locked on. That's one word locked on to receive your bonus. And it's not just football. Bet Online has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, and of course, baseball when that comes back around, as well as your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, we're stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. Holy pun there. That's one. Oh, wow. Yeah, bet online. Go check that out. Also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. 
Let me know if you've heard this one before. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you catch or stream your favorite TV shows, and then you're watching sports highlights on your phone, or you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, let me tell you a more simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part? There's no annual contracts. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. So let's get back to this Rule 5 draft content where I'll quickly go over a few other arms before we get more in-depth on some of these offensive prospects because that's a really interesting thing about this Rule 5 draft class or crop of players that are Rule 5 eligible is that because of that missed 2020 season, there's some interesting offensive prospects to keep an eye out for. So there's definitely as much offensive talent as we've seen. Some other pitchers to look at. Seth Corey. Seth Corey has great stuff, left-handed pitching prospect in the Giants org. Nasty breaking ball, has some intriguing aspects to his fastball, but I just don't think a team will necessarily take a chance on him. He's definitely a gamble. He hasn't pitched above high A. He's got major command issues. At times, we'll we'll run into some hard contact. I'm expecting the Giants to uh, win this bet here on maybe a team not really taking a chance on him, and most likely he sticks with the Giants org. But again, if you have a lot of confidence in your, in your ability to develop a lefty, Corey's got as good of just raw stuff as any Southpaw available in this Rule 5 draft. Uh, Cade McClure, 25-year-old in the White Sox organization, right-handed pitching prospect, was solid in AA, ran into some trouble in AAA, and his fastball you know, sits in the mid to low 90s. He has some average secondary stuff. I think that if you are looking at somebody who has a higher baseline, this is probably that guy, and I think he could kind of be that interesting innings eater uh, if you just need to add somebody to the mix there. That's kind of the same thing for Brady Feigl, who is a 25-year-old right-handed pitching prospect with the Oakland A's. Not very overpowering, but has really good, just heavy sink to the fastball, gets a ton of ground balls, and that's typically the guy I'm looking for uh, when I'm looking at somebody to potentially, if you're looking at the Rule 5 draft for potentially having somebody that could be your sixth starter, so to speak, or be somebody that could end up spot starting for you a lot and, and go five innings and be competitive. The Brady Feigl type of uh, profile, I think, is the safest. A guy that has decent command, pitches to contact, gets a ton of ground balls, and that's exactly what he does. 25-year-old with the Oakland A's, and fastball, slider, curveball, and changeup, they're, they're all average. I think he's going to lean more on that heavy fastball and command that the best, and try to just get a ton of ground balls if he gets the opportunity. That's somebody that I expect to get picked. Uh, given his profile, it's a lot safer. Tim Kate. Southpaw in the Nationals organization was a former second round pick, but I've never really been that high on Kate. He is somebody that has a, a good bender, but the fastball is in the upper 80s. The, the changeup is uh, developing. 
I'm not thrilled about the chance of selecting Tim Cade if I'm a team. I just think his profile in today's game will get just obliterated when you have a curveball that you have to lean on a ton, and that's about it, and a fastball that's in the high 80s. It's going to be a challenge, and I don't really know if I could see a team betting on more of the pedigree of Kate as a former second-round pick, but I, I just think it's it's just not really going to work out if a team does take a chance on him. I will say that because of the name, there's a shot that it happens and because he's a little bit more polished, but I think he's going to get shelled given the opportunity. Of course, would love to be wrong about that. Switching over to the offensive side of things, usually you almost never, I can't even think of the last time that I can remember a catcher being selected in the Rule 5 draft unless something's slipping my memory. And there's two guys that I think have a decent chance at being selected in this Rule 5. It's a pair of AL East prospects. One is Blake Hunt, a prospect that I've always liked and I still do. I have some questions on the bat. I think as everybody does, but the glove is intriguing. I mean, he calls a great game. He's a great receiver. I've heard nothing but phenomenal things about his makeup and just his all-around ability behind the dish and ability to handle a staff. He's way ahead of his years in that regard. The swing, though, I mean, it is just long and the barrel drags and he doesn't catch up to Velo. He's got plus raw power, but he just does not make enough contact to catch up. He was just purely overmatched in double A and that's the problem. I mean, he was disastrous in double A, hit barely over 100. So if you're drafting Blake Hunt here, you're stashing a catcher. I mean, we've seen teams carry three catchers. He can get some opportunity as a backup catcher, but he really gives you no big league value offensively. And even I know that that's a position as a backup catcher that you don't need to be good offensively. But if you're hitting a buck 25 with a 40% K rate in double A, he might literally be uh, just non-competitive. It's just not even remotely competitive. Even uh, if you shift the scale and the bar to backup catcher, which is not a very high bar offensively. I just don't know if Hunt can do that. He has... Mike Zanino type of upside if he can put it together offensively enough, if he can just make contact enough, but that is a big ask given how much he struggled to make contact last year. On the flip side, we have Josh Bro, catcher in the Yankees org, 24 years old, and if you could combine Josh Bro and Blake Hunt, you'd have a top 100 prospect potentially because Bro was interesting offensively. He doesn't walk at all, but he slugged 23 homers between high A and double A. He has big time power potential. He showed better bat to ball skills than Hunt did. Not walking is a little bit concerning given the high 20% strikeout rate, but if you're able to hit for some power and develop defensively, you have a piece here. The problem is that Bro hasn't developed that much defensively. He has a big arm, but he doesn't receive that well. He doesn't block exceptionally well. I thought he made some improvements in double A. We definitely even saw it with the only one pass ball after the promotion to double A. I think he got some better instruction there. Looked like he was moving a bit better, Uh, but he's somebody that I definitely think is counting on the automated strike zone. That would change things a bit too. So a selection of him could be betting on the automated strike zone. I don't know if I'm necessarily doing that. The bat is interesting though, and I would probably say bro is the more likely of the two to be selected if somebody thinks that they can develop his catching side of things well. Uh, On the infielder's side, there's a lot of talent here. You've got Samad Taylor, who is an infielder in the Blue Jays org. And what I like about Taylor is he can play all over the diamond. I think that's really going to make him more appealing to a lot of teams. He can play second base. He can play third base if needed. He can play the outfield. He's an above average to plus runner. He's got good bat to ball skills, which is something that obviously is going to help a little bit too. He's still 
stole 30 bases also in the minor leagues. He was a former 10th rounder in 2016. I think he has that athletic, uh, super utility type of profile that a team will probably take a chance on. And if he can continue to develop offensively, then you might even have a average regular who has versatility to play all over. I mean, he hit 294, 385, 503 between his 374 plate appearances last year. He's got the speed. The only thing I do have a little bit of a concern of, but I do think that he will be one of those people that really benefits from the big league baseball is I felt like when I would watch him, there were a lot of baseballs where I saw Taylor hit it and I'm like, he got a lot of that. Like he, he put a lot behind that. And it would just die deep in the outfield. And so I do feel like that there is a lot of uh, thump missing there. Uh, But I still think that he will be able to hit enough. I mean, he still hit 16 home runs last year. So he was still able to produce some home runs. But I just felt like when he was driving balls that you would expect guys with that kind of total home run total to be able to leave the yard more frequently they would just die quite frequently. And and that's something to watch. But I mean, the ISO was strong at 209. The numbers in AA were fantastic overall. He played 87 games and had the numbers, as I mentioned. The 30 bags are legit because AA didn't have the crazy stolen base rules. So yes, there is some concern at the 29% K rate, but he did walk 11% to offset that. I'm intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued by this kid. and, And I'm taking a chance if I'm an organization who, you know, is looking for some offensive upside similar to the way that the Tigers did with Akil Badu last year. Another guy that I really like offensively, I have no idea if he could even play first base at this point. He'd be a mediocre first baseman at best, but would be a DH masher. And if you're the Colorado Rockies, there's really no excuse not to take this guy. Lucan Baker, of the St. Louis Cardinals, 24 years old, first baseman. He just mashed this year. I mean, absolutely mashed. 26 homers in 91 games in AA. Uh, That's as good as it gets. He has power to all fields. I mean, he was a legend at TCU for just the way that he could demolish baseballs. If there's the DH in the NL, even more so. And that's one of the things in the CBA that I'm willing to bet on as a team drafting in the Rule 5. If I'm the Rockies or... Any team that's starving for offense, this is somebody that I think could could translate pretty quickly. I think the power plays, he demolished lefties to well over a 900 OPS. So even if you are looking at him him as more of a bench bat, he could be a platoon slash bench bat, which we see so much value in nowadays. Uh, We see teams that really utilize their bench well. Baker could be somebody that platoons at first in the DH spot if you don't have a a full-time role guy there that has the ability to just dismantle left-handed pitching. I really see that as as a future role for him. Uh, that's something that I think he could really carve out with the power that he has. If he's able to continuously hit righties as well, then you have potentially a, a solid above-average regular first baseman with 30-plus home run power. If he's playing every day, he's got that kind of power. I mean, he showed it in double A, and I expect that power to translate at the big league level if he gets the opportunity and you know if he can make enough contact. But in thinking Colorado, it would be really fun to watch him play out there. I mean, look what it did for CJ Crone, right? So there's definitely uh, quite a boost for guys that just have that easy, easy power. A couple other players worth watching. Michael Stefanik, uh, and I hope I said that right. Michael Stefanik, 
really cool story, and he's also 25 years old. He has some limitations, and he did get a little bit of a PCL bump, but he hit 17 home runs last year in AAA, got on base at a 408 clip, which I think is an important note because you see grades on the hit tool. He has good bat-to-ball skills, and that's also you know an average to above-average hit tool, no doubt about it. But I think people, I think the way that we look at the hit tool is a bit antiquated because walking is a huge part, especially in today's game, of a hit tool, and I think that bumps it up to above-average for sure with the way he's able to get on base at over a 400 clip. Yes, the power is probably not 17 plus. It's probably closer to 10 to 12. And he's a bit limited defensively. He can't play shortstop. He's limited to second base. I think that there's a potential that he can get acclimated in left field or right field, which is something that he was experimenting with a little bit and was getting a bit more comfortable there. That's what I'm expecting is is him to be more of that utility guy. I think that he can be a really reliable bat off the bench, but the defensive limitations are a big question. If he can develop that and get that footwork going and be at least average in left field, second base, and maybe even third base, then there's a little bit more work in form there. But if you're betting on the bat, I like the high floor of it there, and I think that there's enough there to be interesting. Griffin Conine, another one who, you know, had a massive year power-wise, 36 home runs, really fell apart at the end of the year in double-A, and that's a big reason why I think the Marlins were okay not protecting him, figuring that a team won't take the chance. But 36 home runs from foul pole to foul pole is really hard to teach. Exit velos over 116 miles an hour are really hard to teach. A team may take a flyer. I think it's more unlikely, but his defense has also improved a ton. He was one of the leaders in outfield assists, showed some good range out there compared to years prior. The 22 strike Outs over his last 33 at bats is concerning to me. That looks like more of a breakdown for the whole Pensacola team, which we saw as a few guys on that team. JJ Boudet really fell apart down the stretch, then turned it around in the Arizona Fall League. So it's more of an individual thing. I think that a team's going to have to look at Conan in an individual case, and if they feel like they can remedy his you know, 35% plus swing and miss or or K rate, then you have a potential all-star. Like that's the kind of power he has. He's got 40 home run upside, but the question is, will he be able to make enough contact? I don't know if a team is necessarily going to bet on that. David Villar of the San Francisco Giants had a great year, 140 WRC plus. He also had 20 bombs in 106 games in double A but he's super pull heavy. I mean, he pulled the ball like 50% of the time. I actually like his swing. I like his approach. I like the way that he impacts the baseball. I don't think he needs to be so pull happy. I think the bat speed plays to all fields. I think it might've been just a little bit of a habit that he got into from the way he was being pitched. I don't see his swing or his body or just his power output being dependent on being pull happy. And that's why I would be interested in taking a chance on this guy who could play third, who could play probably the corner outfield as well. If you really want to try it out, Villar is an interesting bat that I think is worth a shot as well. A couple other outfielders to take a look at. Ryan Noda of the Dodgers is another one. I think he's going to end up at first base slash DH, but he did make 44 starts in the outfield and I guess could play there in a pinch, which makes him a bit more valuable potentially than a Lucan Baker because of the fact that he can actually go out there and not be a total disaster. But I mean, you're betting on the bat here with somebody like Ryan Noda. He's kind of similar to Zach Rex and some of those other guys that they had in the system uh, that the 
It just seems to be like the Dodgers just churn out even prospects that you haven't heard of as much that are 15th round picks uh, from years ago just end up hitting for a ton of power. This is somebody that hit 29 jacks this past year in double A, 250, 383, 521 slash line, walks a good deal, which is really encouraging as well. I mean, a nice left-handed swing. I I like this guy a lot, 25 years old. But again, another another player that if you're hungry for offense, there's no reason not to pay the $100,000 to take a chance on this guy. Worst case, you have an interesting left handed bat off the bench but I think that this guy could hit enough to end up being a decent regular with the kind of power he has 29 jacks is no mistake in 113 games and this was in double a I'm very interested to see how he continues to develop I'm sure that a team is going to snatch him up and he's really hit every year I mean that's the thing too when he was with Toronto in 2019 he was pretty solid there 790 OPS he had 13 homers the year before that in low a he had a 905 OPS 20 homers there Uh, the guys just consistently hit and I think that that's got to matter for something. He's got the track record and has really put it together uh, after his collegiate career at Cincinnati has really figured it out. And I think things are just clicking for him now. I, I really see him as a late bloomer and I think he's really blooming right now. So the right opportunity, I could see a team picking him up and, and being pretty happy with the results. There's definitely plenty of, of opportunities there where I think teams are looking for a little offensive boost at low cost. And that's exactly what he can give them here. Uh, that'll do it for today's episode. There's some more prospects I just didn't have time to get to as we uh, surpassed the 30 minute mark. So definitely check out the article linked in the description to see some of the other prospects that are notable and could go in this draft because there's several others that I didn't even get to that could end up getting selected. Also, if you have a minute to leave a rating on the podcast, it would help me immensely with growing the show. And I really appreciate hearing your feedback. Most importantly, have a wonderful Thanksgiving with you and yours uh, tomorrow or today, if that's when you're listening to it. I cannot wait to talk to you all on the other side of Thanksgiving and talk to you about all of the prospects and the latest things happening in the baseball world. As always, thank you for listening, and I can't wait to talk prospects with you then.